Thank you, Michael. Um, I'm aware of the fact there's a good number of you who've just joined us for the first time this morning. Uh, and it would be quite impossible to do a summary. I thought about it. I said, well, let me see if I can't summarize this. And, and I realized uh, the picture was a little bit like having a table of sand uh, or a table, and then you start pouring sand on it. And, and you reach a certain point where the sand reaches a certain height, and then any sand that you put on there after that point runs off down the side. It doesn't stay on top of the table. And so I kind of feel like that this morning. Uh, by the time we got to last night, sand was uh, running off the table in abundance. And I thought, any, I thought, even if I attempt to put a cup of sand on top of what's already been there, it's going to run right off because the saturation level has been reached. Um, you can't, I don't know, you get into a place in the Holy Spirit and our physical bodies and minds can't take in but so much. And, uh, and, and we're like... Uh, we're like a pickup truck that you try to load two tons of of uh, dirt in the back and it flattens the wheels. It, it won't go anywhere. And I, I kind of feel that way uh, this morning. My best suggestion for those of you that are from the Ohio area, and uh, y'all are still loving on each other. My, I mean, I watched you at family camp doing that, and you, <laughs> this guy gets massages all through the meeting. She, she, no, she, she's a nurse, and, and she likes this guy. <laughs> you're, still a, you're still a nurse, right? Yeah, okay. I said, gee, that's a great deal. Go to church and get a massage. A... She... Well, I'm glad. And, and they're both smiling, too, so... My best uh, thought for those of you that have come here uh, from the Ohio area, and thank you so much for supporting this meeting and coming out and uh, being part of this with us, is uh, talk to someone who's been here and ask them, what was that all about? What was that? Tell me something about that rerouting. Because everybody who's been here is taking away something significant. And if you give them the opportunity to rehearse it and restate it and articulate it, you will be blessed by that. And what they've been hearing and receiving will be reinforced in their lives. So rather than try to summarize or do a recap uh, to get you on board, talk to somebody when you leave here and said, okay, unpack that for me a little bit and tell me. And you'll be blessed, and, and they'll be blessed for uh, having the opportunity. Uh, we are on a brief pathway of preparing our hearts. Hi, Dorothy. I'm sorry. Just haven't seen you in a while. Um, to coming to the Lord's table together. Um, it's a pathway that leads us to a table that's long, and it reaches far. It reaches back into the years that have preceded us with all who have sat at that table. And it reaches forward 
into eternity to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we get the privilege in some way that defies explanation to come to that table and be at that table and to partake from that table that all those who have preceded us have celebrated and enjoyed. It, it's, it's participation in something that is eternal, uh, that's part of the great cloud of witnesses. This is not an isolated event that's taking place in Columbus. It's a continuing event that's full of everything that's gone before. Uh, and it all belongs to us. And you could mention the names of those who've come to this table with humble hearts and open hands to feed once again on the Lord Jesus in their hearts by faith. And whether you go to Augustine or whether you go to Luther, if you go to Calvin, if you go to Rebecca, and... Uh, names that just come to mind, people that have been to that table, there's some sense of, of mystery and wonder in the fact that we're participating in that same cup and that same bread. And so we're preparing our hearts to do that. Uh, I would like to use two references this morning just to give a little nuance to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I could use evangelical charismatic Christian, but it does not fit the environment and the setting that we're in. Uh, those terms, though I am not apologetic for them, uh, and I'm not rejecting them, have become static and politicized. If I identify myself as an evangelical Christian, or if I'm with certain people, I might say I'm an evangelical charismatic Christian because I know they'll understand what I'm saying. But what happened is that has become like a frozen word. And if you use it in the public setting, people think they know what you're talking about. And it's particularly the fact that you're pro-life, that you're political, that you might support uh, Donald Trump, and they know a whole lot about you because of the way the word has been sort of frozen in time. So I'm choosing two descriptors this morning, which means something to me. I hope they will take on meaning to you. The first is imager. It's not a common word. But we as followers of Jesus on pilgrimage, being rerouted, are imagers. An imager is someone who reflects image. In the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 26, the very beginning, says, And they said, Let us make man in our image. And in that sense of the word, we are in some way that defies comprehension made in the image of God and that we reflect him and that we participate in creation with him as a manifestation of his likeness, as incredible as that sounds, it's nonetheless true. 
Imagers have incredible capacities and capabilities. Uh, for instance, it takes an imager to take a bunch of grapes and to crush them and squeeze the juice out of them and to put them in a container. And if you use uh, ancient vessels, it would have been a clay jar and let it sit there for a season until this crust builds on top. And then they, the, 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 the winemaker has to know the timing on when to either stir that or discard that crust and pour it into a new vessel. And it goes through this process of being poured from vessel to vessel, each time becoming more pure as it's poured off of what is called the lees, which is the, the residue of grape skins and stems and the things that were initially involved in the crushing. And that process goes on until you wind up with this final product that is a refined vintage that's wonderfully made to complement food. It takes an imager to engage in that creative process. Im imagers create things that didn't exist. Let me say that again. Imagers are involved in creating things that didn't previously exist. Another example would be, um, how many of you in here um, engage in art? You, you, you paint. Do we have painters in here? You can put your hand up. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you. Um, is it for the, for the person who can, who sees something in their image, a nation, they see it and somehow have those gifts and qualities that are able to transform that into something that can be visually appreciated by someone else looking at it. So they participate in the creation of something that didn't exist. You with me? That's what imagers do. And, and imagers, imagers have to be flexible. They have to be pliable. How many artists have ever gone to the easel? And they've said, how many times has Leighton gone to the easel, John, and said, no, that's not it? It never finishes with her. It's something in process. It's a work in process, the act of creation and creating. And I would like to suggest one other picture of what imagers can do, what imagers are capable of doing. And it, is, it particularly has to do with words. Is it imagers 
have the ability with a proper relationship with the Holy Spirit to be involved in speaking things that causes things to come into being that didn't exist before. I hope this isn't too esoteric. Because it, there's a powerful truth in this. And as people, we've been talking for days now and hours and wonderful stories about what it means to be rerouted. Um, how many people here this morning uh, are, are not where you thought you were going to be five years ago? <laughs> Most hands rising in the room. Uh, and and if, if you 10 years ago, with certainty and confidence, had a three to five year plan, how many of you found that it worked out exactly like you thought? It doesn't. There's something dynamic about walking before the almighty living God and being in relationship with him that results in change and results in his creative activity. I'm not suggesting that imagers can accomplish anything or be involved in creating anything apart from the a relationship with the spirit of the living God that hovered over the face of the earth. There's something uh, essential and necessary about the presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish those things. But I'll give you an example of what I mean about words is if you've ever had an occasion where you go up to someone, and uh, I, I love to use this phrase. I, I have, I'm too guilty of sloganeering, I think. But sometimes word phrases take hold of me, and, and they just stick with me. And I've been in situations where I've said to someone uh, behind a counter, uh, in this case it was a bar at P.F. Chang's, uh, my wife and I like to sit at the bar because you get great service pretty quick and, uh, and, the, and the bar's high to where you can get to your food easy. So we, we just kind of like that. And I looked at this gal behind the counter and I started, and by the way, she was, uh, she was in nurse training. And, I'd, and I just asked her, I said, so what do you do in addition to uh, uh, being my beverage consultant today? or libation counselor. That just sounds a lot better than bartender to me. And she said, well, I'm, I'm studying to be a nurse. I said, wow. I said, you must really care about people. I said, you, you know what? You are so wonderfully made in God's image. And you have really got some special gifts. And I'm telling her, her headlights came on. She was just, I had spoken something into her soul and that her amen was involuntarily going off. She, it could not not go off because I was speaking words that had to do with truth and creative words and it was calling forth something from her. As, and as she began to respond. Now, I love to see it come to full fruition. I love to see it come to that place where people lift their countenance and they look 
to the Lord and they say, Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. And that happens. There's, there's something about the creative process of being involved in what the Holy Spirit is doing that calls into being things that have not been there before. So I'd like for you to see yourself as a dynamic imager that God is using and you are not going to be able to predict with certainty when that's going to be and where that's going to be and how that's going to be. But I promise you, if you are poised, say, Lord, I'm made in your image. You've given me special gifts and ability, and I'm ready. If you'll allow me to get up next to someone where you're at work and you're doing things in their lives, and I have the opportunity, I'll speak what you give me, and then watch what happens. It's, it is an exciting and wonderful journey. That sounds a little different to me than evangelical Christian in, in terms of its outcomes. Another word that I would like to use is pilgrim. And the simple definition of a pilgrim is it's someone who journeys into unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory. Um, being a pilgrim is well illustrated in the second book of the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. And that particular volume is called Paralandra. And if you've not read C.S. Lewis and, the, and his Space Trilogy, he's a master of allegory and metaphor and wonderful truths, uh, much like you would find in the Chronicles of Narnia. But it's the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. The first is Out of the Silent Planet. The second one is Paralandra. The third volume is That Hideous Strength. In Paralandra, Ransom, who is the chief character, uh, is... I can't remember the whole circumstances, but he's got this little space pod that he's flying in. And he lands on this planet called Paralandra. And his space pod lands in the water as an ocean. And it floats to shore, and Ransom gets out of this little space pod, and he walks on shore. And uh, Paralandra. And it was strange for him because he noticed wherever he walked that the land moved under his feet. It was moving land. And he journeyed until he met this green lady that's a type of Eve before sin and corruption. And he asked her this question. He says, why does the land move under my feet? And she said to him, the only fixed land is on the island where Dildo lives, who is a type of Lucifer. The only fixed land is where he lives. 
that the rest is moving land, constantly on the move. And he comes to a certain orchard, and it's trees that have these bubbles on them. And he walks up to the tree in this orchard, and he looks up and he sees the bubble, and he reaches up and he touches it. And when he does, it bursts. And it sends this euphoric mist over him. And it was exotic and wonderful. And it was a rich, meaningful experience as he was walking on this moving land. And he reached out to touch another bubble because it was so grand and it was so delicious and it was so wonderful. But he said, wait, somehow in this place, it does not seem right to repeat and capture the experience. That's what a pilgrim's like. He walks on moving land that's constantly shifting. And he doesn't try to grasp and cling to things to be certain that he would be able to have them again. That's what a pilgrim is like. I want to throw in a little parenthetical note because in all that we've been talking about and all that we've been addressing in these days, it would be easy to say, hey, let's just go with the flow. We don't need any plans. We don't need to make plans. Uh, plans are useless. The Apostle Paul, I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul, one of the most rerouted people in the New Testament. He got rerouted at Damascus. He went from a fire-breathing, church-hating, persecuting uh, Pharisee to being the voice that would proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles through the church. He is a, he is a re rerouted dude. And this is Paul talking in his letter to the church at Corinth, the second one. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you. First, so that you might benefit twice. I planned to, I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia. We know that story. He got rerouted at least twice getting to Macedonia. Mark Puddock brought that out for us in good fashion. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly fashion or manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Paul was a planner. He was a strategic master planner, but he walked on moving ground, and he was prepared and open to being rerouted at any time that the Lord Jesus 
thought that it was fitting and that would, it was appropriate. So, so I just wanted to say there's nothing wrong with plans. It's just how close and how hard we cling to them and our willingness to undergo course corrections. It's so tempting to stop and reflect upon journeys of people in this room that have been together for over four decades. And none of us could have predicted the journeys that we're on, the people that we're dealing with, and the extent of God's influence through new pastures and new vineyards and new places and distant lands. Such an awesome journey. And I was thinking last night as Garrett Gustafson introduced a song, and I'm sorry for those of you that were unable to get in on that. He introduced a song that he'd recently written. Uh, Garrett was one of the original writers of music for Integrity Music and was part of the initial team that launched Integrity Hosanna. And he wrote a song called New Jerusalem and introduced it. It was sort of his inaugural presentation of that uh, here with us last night. And it was wonderful. We've decided that he's, he's starting to sound more and more like Willie Nelson. <laughs> it's what happens when you get a little older and your voice gets a little more gravelly. And... But I want you to listen to these words. We sang them and... Sometimes when you're learning songs and you're singing songs, you're really not paying attention to the words of the songs. And I want you to listen to this because this is what pilgrims do. They make plans. They journey on moving land. They're open to redirection. And yes, even radical redirection. But they're looking for something. And they have their hopes set upon something that's coming. We live in a time that's so full of turmoil and dismay and people yelling at each other and talking over top of each other. And then there's things that are going on in the church that are so disheartening and reports that come about leaders that fail and uh, all kinds of things. I've had my moments when I would sit in our little sun porch in South Carolina, I'd look out and I'd say, Lord, what on earth are you doing? Because I'm having a hard time seeing it. And I have the assurance rise in my heart that, oh, he's building it. The extension of his kingdom will never know an end. He's building his church. He's at work in some subterranean way in relationships Things are bursting forth. Things are coming into being. Things are being creative that are full of life. And when you get up next to it, you know it. That's one of the reasons we come here. You know that? We do not have a membership at ACM. We do not have a constitution in ACM. Paul and I, for 30 years, people will say, well, what is ACM? Well, <laughs> it's a group of people that get together because they want to be together. That's pretty much it. New Jerusalem, listen to these words. 
Then I saw a city coming down from heaven. A beautiful city. Like a bride for her husband. The new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. City come down. Then I heard from heaven in a voice like thunder, they will be my people and I will dwell among them. The new Jerusalem. I'm not going to try to sing it. It's tempting. The new Jerusalem. City come down. No more tears or sorrows. No more guilt or shame. No more days of darkness. No more death or pain. No more sun or moonlight. The Lord will light the day. All creation has been born again. All creation has been born again. The new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. City come down. Then I saw the nations drawing near to the brightness, bringing gifts of worship to honor God's greatness. New Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, city come down. Whew. That's what pilgrims look for. Finally, and usually when somebody says that, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but I will attempt with a final thought. Imagers and pilgrims don't look for certainty about the future. They look to the one who is certain about the future. We take too much of our cues and our leadings from horizontal time-space continuum when we need to go vertical. Get out of the horizontal and go vertical. Would you say with me, let's go vertical. And what we're about to do now, what we're going to participate in together, is the act of getting out of the horizontal and going vertical. And what we're going to do together as imagers and pilgrims as we are going to recalibrate to the one who is certain about what is to come. It's liberating, it's freeing, and I'm going to make a, a, a prophetic proclamation. Everybody in this room this morning is completely freed to have from having to be concerned about what anybody else thinks of you. You want to receive that, don't you? You're there. You don't live your life comparing yourself to others.
and looking at how God is using others and looking at how much better than you they are. And for those of you that are looking around the room saying, I'm better than everybody else in this room, you especially need to come this morning. We're going vertical. And what we're going to do, there's a lot of things that go on in communion. Too much to explain. It defies comprehension. People find healing. People find needs met in a way that I don't understand, but in the fulfillment of what Jesus said to do, there is participation, and it's a means of grace that I do not understand. It's, it's a mind blower. It's beyond what I can comprehend. But there's something that goes on. But one thing that I know that goes on, we, calibr we recalibrate to the author of our salvation. We come back to the one who defies being fully understood or exhausted. We're coming back to the one in whom we have our identity. We're coming back to the one who dwells in our hearts and in our minds. And we're coming back as pilgrims and imagers to say, I want to reflect you. And I come to your table to feed on you in my hearts and in our hearts by faith that we might be renewed, that we might be strengthened, that our lives might be amended and that we will look more like you and that we more effectively will reflect your image in the earth. So to you imagers this morning and to you pilgrims, I invite you to prepare your hearts to come to the table to receive what he has provided for you. My prayer at communion, I'll share this with you, uh, the, the subject of communion and what takes place in the participation in bread and wine. Uh, I gave up on theologically being able to describe that with finality. Can't do it. It's a heavenly reality that defies earthly explanation. But this is a prayer I pray, and I invite you at some point, if you're inclined, I'll share it with you. I just say, Lord, cause this bread and cause this drink to be for me and in me everything that you intend. Then I'll leave it with him. We're going to prepare uh, the table. We have those that are going to assist. And uh, Dennis, if I could have um, someone who could move this over and we could move the table. And I'm going to ask Paul uh, Petrie, to come and assist me, please. Mm. 
and as we begin this, uh, I like to use uh, prayers and confessions that will collect us together from our, our very diverse backgrounds. Uh, this is not unfamiliar to you. It's called the Collect of Purity. And as you think on these words, as we pray them together, uh, they're rich and deep and they're soul searching. So together, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then together, just to change your posture for a moment, if you'll stand and we will make this confession of the Nicene Creed that was concluded in about 370 AD, but it's confessing with the saints over the centuries this common proclamation of faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For what was humans, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Uh, if you'll be seated and if you will give your attention forward, I'm going to continue in a prayer or two with you joining me in your hearts and minds holy and gracious father in your infinite love you made us for yourself 
And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. Oh, you want to hold the bread up? On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension. We offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son. The holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. And at the last day, bring us all with your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. Now as our Savior Jesus has taught us, we're bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Paul, would you please pray over the bread? I've had the opportunity uh, on several occasions to, to take Passover with Jewish friends and was always struck at how real the revelation of Jesus was in this event and how 
veiled their minds were, that what we were doing was something spiritually real. I'd like us, as we break the bread, to drop back in our remembrance. This is done in remembrance of him. To the first time this happened. The disciples that were with him that night had been through this event all of their lives. It was a completely familiar event to them. They got rerouted, like it was to, and still is, to my Jewish friends. And think of the shock, the mind-boggling reality when Jesus said, this bread is my body. That was rerouting. It was a whole new concept. And would you mind breaking it for me since I've got it? And it was and it is broken for you. While we're here, think of that night. Sitting around with those twelve guys who had the first revelation that this bread was the body of Jesus broken for them and it was Jesus who said it the body of broken of, of Jesus broken for you and father we do pray that your your grace in the marvelous and mysterious way that you do things that your grace would be on this meal and in this bread and in this wine and we can partake of your son Jesus as he said this is my body And I'm giving it for you. In Jesus' name. And Father, as we lift this cup before you, we pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, come upon us and come upon these elements and cause them to be everything that you had in mind on that first night. And Lord, we know that that goes beyond what we can comprehend or know But may it be so, we pray in your mighty and your powerful name.